new episode, more user submitted topics, content, I should say. Oh, so yeah. This, this one is from Damon M. And he left a comment on very not random episode 42. And I believe what we're recording right now is 49. So seven episodes ago. So we do still oh, we go come back. back. Right. We so come I was back. Say, if you haven't had your topic or question addressed yet, all hope is not lost. It may it may <laughs> rear its head. Or quite frankly, we may we may never address it. But point being, it's true. We, we do go back. So here's what we have. And I'm, I don't want to curse us, Boz. But I yeah, don't feel do like definitely I feel no like cursing. this isn't going to take a lot of time. <laughs> it's possible, yeah. But I mean, we've said that in the past. We've and said it's that been in the past. Forty-five minute, hour long, yeah. <laughs> dissertation. So, here's Damon's question. I'll read it verbatim. First of all, he says, "Always great content." Thank you, sir. I have a question. Much appreciated. What movements do you think are the most undercoached, and what is the best way to make sure all movements get closer to? quote unquote, the right amount of coaching. For example, mm. I think running is often undercoached as it's just something that is just, hey, go run without the coach giving much input on technique or anything. So we both saw this a while ago. And it's funny, it, it caught both of our eyes. And then when we were discussing what we should do, I think you posted this one first. And it's like, oh, yeah, I, I remember that one. So this one, uh, this one spoke to you, huh? Yeah, I love this question because I think it really it to me if you take a step back you think about the big picture it really illuminates what you're asking yourself to do as a crossfit coach and that is you have to be proficient with so many things and you have to be comfortable coaching so many different techniques it's a huge job and i think a lot of people sometimes don't see it that way initially but once they start to get into it it can really start to unfold itself it's it's like one of those scenarios where like many things in life, you start to learn about something and the more you learn about it, the more you recognize, oh, wow, I've got a lot more to learn. And so I think it's easy to take a couple of pet lifts and get really good at instructing those, take a couple of other pet movements that maybe you had in your background mm -hmm. from whatever you were doing before and get really good at those. And then everything else just kind of falls in the cracks. And to me, that's the mark of a pretty lazy coach. Um, the real mark of the pro is who can instruct everything to a high level. And that doesn't mean that you have to sit there and anytime it's, you know, time to put on the old running shoes, you're spending 45 minutes discussing the biomechanics of how your foot should strike the ground. That's not useful to anybody either, practically. Mm -hmm. uh, but you should have some insight as to how to get people quickly in the right positions, how to get them out of the bad positions if they find themselves there, and generally make them more efficient. So, you know, starting with running, I think, was well, a total I get, layup. I get a question for you before you get into okay. that. Because I'm trying to think of if somebody is watching this episode, maybe they've caught up on the previous ones, and they're excited about, maybe they're a new coach, or they're excited to open their facility for the first time, or they're about to get into coaching. And yep. that simple few phrases that you just rattled off, which are certainly true, might seem profoundly overwhelming when you said, you know, the mark of a good coach, you have to be able to, you have to have to have this very broad skill set of what you can coach, not just your favorite pet movements. Yeah. You and I could go back and forth and list, I don't know, 50 to 100 different movements that you're going to see in a CrossFit gym. Like there's a dizzying number. And so now the new coach is like, how in the world am I ever going to get to what Adrian just said, like, I'm never going to be ready to start coaching. 
And now, you know, they're, they're paralyzed and in getting there. So not to derail this conversation already, but any advice yeah. to the coach listening to this, who's like, wow, I have to know every single solitary thing about any movement before I step in front yeah. of the class. I ain't never going to be ready for that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's part of the learning experience and it's like doing CrossFit itself. When you first start, there's going to be certain things where you're like, okay, I got that. I can do a deadlift. I can do an overhead press. You know, I'm good at pull-ups. Whatever those couple of movements are that you're pretty comfortable with when you start. And then that slowly expands as you get more and more exposure and you, your learning progresses. It's no different than when you're coaching. It's just from the other end. So a couple of things to remember, you're never going to get good at anything without allowing yourself to be just okay in the beginning 100%. or even downright not so good. You're going to yes. make mistakes. Don't shy away from that. That's fine. And if you view it through the lens of you know the excitement of learning something new and experimenting with it, and taking advice from those that kind of came before you, reading books about things that that interest you in in the coaching world, um, it, it'll be a great time. It's not this overwhelming thing. It's a fun thing that you get to dive into and really start to explore because there's a lot of meat on the bone there. So I think really it's just about the paradigm that you come into it with. It, it doesn't need to be overwhelming. It needs to be exciting. You need to, yes. you need to look at this and say, holy crap, there's a whole universe out there that I get to kind of dive in and pick and choose and you know, expose myself and, and my, my group to. It's really cool. And, and the one good thing, maybe, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, that, that I think is cool is, okay, maybe I said there's 50 to 100 movements. So let's just say there's 50. That's a lot of movements. While there might <laughs> be some nuance to, to different movements, right? There's also a yeah. lot of general overlap of like big Absolutely. principles that if you learn the five to seven major building blocks, you might be shocked as to how many different movements, even ones that maybe you haven't been exposed to before, yeah. will have a commonality or a principle that even to your eye, you're like, I've never seen that movement, but that doesn't look like the safest or the most efficacious way to do that lift. It's there. And then you can start to develop that more nuanced, the smaller, more sophisticated elements along the way. So don't, mm -hmm. don't let that scare you and i will let the cat out of the bag on something else as a new coach you might think that repeated exposure leads to competency and expertise and, and there's a correlation sure. there but not always the case there was many many an interaction that i had or a seminar I attended with, with somebody who had been in the biz 10 years had every credential that you could imagine hanging mm -hmm. on the wall and then you watch them coach a group and they appeared to be blind it just, it happens oh, yeah. every now and then. And then you might, mm -hmm. I might see somebody else who tells me they've only been coaching for six months. And I'm like, really? Wow. Your eye is sharp. You kind of know what's going on. So it's okay to be new. And just because you're new doesn't mean you're not going to be good at these things. And just because so-and-so has been doing it for 10 years doesn't mean that they're amazing. Now, again, repeated yeah. exposure certainly helps, but everybody's on the path. Everybody's getting better. So yeah, don't, don't be a, uh, don't be shy. Make smart decisions. You know, get yourself some some books. Find yourself a mentor and and dive right in. So sorry for the diversion there. No, okay. I think that's really good. I uh, I'm yeah, I'm happy to talk about that sort of thing all day long. So back to the layup you were saying, running. Yes, uh, I think running is the perfect entry point for this question. So to reframe that question, what are some movements that often don't get a lot of attention when it comes time to coach or, or think about technique. Um, 
both from athletes and coaches alike. And I think running is very high up on the list. I mean, it's one of those things people just take for granted. They think you're just going to go out there and open up the door and off you go and it's all going to work <laughs> out just fine. And maybe it will to a point, but I've seen some some very interesting interpretations of what it means to run. Uh, in fact, I see it all the time in my neighborhood. You know, people well-meaning, well-intentioned. They want to get fit. One of the first things I think most normal people do when they're trying to, you know, start a new routine like that is well, I'll just go for a jog because it's easy. It's accessible. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a lot of equipment. Most people have a pair of running shoes and all you got to do is just open the front door and, and get after it. I think that extreme level of accessibility fools you into thinking it's, there's nothing to it. And that is where things can get a little bit weird. You know, if you're, especially if you're going to be doing a lot of it, it, the efficiency of your running stride, the, um, the safety of it, I think are worth looking into, um, for no other reason than it's one of the most high repetition activities that you can partake in. And people don't often think about it that way. You know, even if you go for a short run, you know, we're talking, you go run around the block, think about the number of footfalls within the span of that distance. Each one of those is effectively a rep. And -hmm. if you're in a bad position for every single one of those reps, it's not going to be too long before running isn't this comfortable, fun activity, but it's uncomfortable. And at the worst end of it, you know, it could be potentially damaging. And, And that's why running as a recreational activity has such a high rate of injury. And it's, it's totally unfortunate. Somebody might correct me. Well, somebody will correct me in the comments if I could please do, because uh, there's a little piece of data I used to have in my head when I needed to call on this more frequently. And I will admit that now it's rusty and I'm going to get it wrong. Yeah. But it was something along what you're saying, which is over the course of, let's say a one mile run for the average runner with the average stride length, whatever that means, that there are several hundred, if not, you know, potentially approaching a thousand like foot strikes that occur with the ground and each one of those depending upon how you run could be like a two times body weight strike strike Mm -hmm. strike over and over again so like you're saying if you are doing hundreds of those per mile run at somewhere above a one times body weight impact on, on a single joint and you're doing it poorly or doing it wrong you don't have to connect the dots very much to see that that's not going to lead somewhere good. And so giving some extra attention to that is probably going to be very beneficial for your long-term health and fitness. And I'm shocked because I've been in a lot of communities that do a ton of running. And I will just openly admit that I don't think any coaching ever occurred, even back in the old, we're Mm -hmm. going way back, Boz. You know, back in high school, I was on the track (laughs) team, on the track team where, you know, we ran. And I think our coaching like you know we would do different drills to get faster whether it's repeats but the like the yeah the actual mechanics of the run and the foot strike i don't recall hearing anything that the only thing i can ever remember my coach saying was he was obsessed with like how people's arms would swing if they're going like mm-hmm. left and right across your body we call that east west like, you got to get them north south get them north south other than that like i don't recur occur any recall any really technique happening and then in the military whether you want to or not, you are an endurance athlete, whether you want to be or not, at least back back when I was in run, 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 long, long, long. And more is better. Tons and tons of impacts in the old body. Mm-hmm. Not a single bit of coaching. It was just go out for a long <laughs> run. So for you know quite a long time. So I, I agree with you. That's one I think all of us would benefit from 
a bit more time and effort as to actually how to do it. Yeah, and and I'll say too, you know, I'm not a real running fan, even though <laughs> I will vouch body, for that. you know, yeah, it's my body type. I should be, you know, I think if it was something I actually put time into pursuing, I could be a decent runner, but I just don't care to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, when I am going through periods of time where I'm focusing on running a little bit more, and particularly the technique of running and making that technique consistent, um, running feels good. It feels easy, not in the sense that. It's not challenging, but easy in the sense that it is easeful. It, the stride itself doesn't take a lot of energy. It feels like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, just like when you get really good with any other technique. You know, you, mm-hmm. you get good at the snatch, and you're like, oh, that's what it feels like to hit that right. And it just, everything slots together all of a sudden. The same feeling occurs when I'm working on my running and I'm getting comfortable with that technique on a regular basis. So. I'm one of those odd crossfitters that doesn't mind running. I almost want to say that I (laughs) I don't like it. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. And, you know, there's a great, you know, there are people who don't like running. They'll say, you know, running, it just takes care of, you know, your gains go away. Chandler Smith has some great line about running where he says, uh, because, you know, people say uh, you can run, but you can't hide. He'll say that you can hide, but you can't run. And I was like, (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So uh, you you start off with a run. I'm going to go yep. with a gymnastics movement that is so simple and it's just the air squat. And it's something that I feel like gets really dug into and harped on at like a level one seminar. And mm-hmm. it's one of those ones like at a level two when you're coaching, you might think you get the easy movement when somebody gives you the air squat and you realize how far off you were and how much there is to doing that well. I feel like it's one of those things where as since it is like step number one, the foundational building block that you could all make an argument that most other things are quote unquote more complicated. And therefore, I think they get more attention and love. And I, and I think that's a bit of a mistake because everything builds off of your air squats. If your air squat isn't being right. done with virtuosity and being done well, and you're not really harping on it, I just find a hard time to believe that your front squat's going to be fantastic and your back squat's going to be awesome. And your overhead squat looks amazing, but your air squat's garbage. Like it's probably not going to go that way. And often done at high reps, people just, you know, boing it up and down quickly. You can just look across the classroom and some coaches might be like, well, as long as they're getting below parallel and standing up at the top, that's a good air squad. And there's so much more that that goes into that. As like I said, it is it is the foundation of the hundred story building that you hope to one day uh, build that I think that's one that when I see a coach really digging into an air squad, it just kind of. It's just a special feeling in my heart when I see it, and it's a, and it's good to go. And it's one of those ones where, if you talk about what you would love to maintain over the course of your lifetime, like a good solid air squat is going to serve you incredibly well. So, yep. um, you know, it's a Absolutely. user lose kind of thing. So my my first one's the air squat. I like that one, and I'll I'll piggyback on that with another basic body weight movement, which is the push up. I see so many <laughs> atrocious push-ups everywhere I go. Ah, oh, they're just terrible. <laughs> it blows my mind. I can't handle a bad push-up. That's because I have flawless push-ups, Pat. That's Amen. <laughs> but no, the, uh, the push-up is another one of those movements that I think people just take for granted. And, um, you know, the body position just kind of goes out the window, especially when people start getting fatigued or they're moving quickly. Um, and it just looks awful. So I think push-ups are one of those movements. 
where you can spend a little bit of time and it goes a long way. It doesn't need to be an hour long mm-hmm. dissection, but there should be a little bit of attention there. And then when it starts to go south, a return to bringing that back to what it should be. And I, I kind of want to couch your air squat and my push up under the same umbrella. And I see this happening a lot with coaches that get a little bit more experience under their belt. You know, like you said in the beginning, Oftentimes, people will dive into the mechanics of an air squat. They'll get really on top of those types of things. And my observation is that with time, coaches fall away from those quote-unquote basics, and they coach them less and less, not because they're seeing less and less things to be coached, but because their own experience deludes them into believing that other people carry that experience as well. Mm. And I see it all the time. It's like, well, I've coached a thousand air squats. I see air squats every day. I've done this for a decade now. Of course, the air squat is basic, but you you can't frame it that way because it discounts where that person's experience is. If they're new coming in, they haven't developed a movement enough yet. Your, your level of um, repetition with that means nothing in the sense that they still have to go through that process and you have to guide them. And can we just say, in all honesty, how tough real push-ups are like yeah, if you actually sure. do beautiful yep. full range of motion rigid midline real push-ups are extremely challenging yeah, absolutely like- and people find every little way that they can to try to just take some of the work out of it and make them look like they're doing a lot of reps but they're not actually hardest, holding themselves hardest to a good part of Cindy every push-up. every single solitary time I without will- question I will take, I'm going to stay on the simplistic okay. uh, paths Give uh, it to, me. To, to answer Damon's question. And the next one is just, I'm going to go with the deadlift. The mm. deadlift is, you know, it's not a fast lift. Not talking the power clean, squat clean, any of that stuff. And it's, you know, a building block movement, I would say. You know, it's, it's the simplest starting point of pulling off the ground. And I think, I could be wrong with this, but I think a lot of the, um, a majority of the coaching of the deadlift is just focused around staring at somebody's lumbar spine and making <laughs> sure that they're not going to, you know, they think, you know, round their back and injure their spine, which clearly midline stabilization is profoundly important to the deadlift mm-hmm. and something which demands attention. But there's so much more going on there with just hips and shoulders rising at the same rate or not what's going on as the bar starts to break free of the ground are the knees getting in the way are they getting pushed back at a nice rate that allows the bar to kind of move in a straight line and all of those little things on both the up and the down uh, are so astonishingly important but i think it can be easy just to say hey uh arch your back okay good gotcha chest up okay good gotcha and and that's where it ends and there's so much more that, that when I see the coach, you know, see the midline, and that's fantastic. But then they kind of, they take a knee, they're touching the person on the knee, like, hey, this is what's going on when you, you know, you're going around your knees or something like that's happening. And they see that. I'm really, really happy when they see that because it's also, you're just also making a, a lift that's challenging enough, the deadlift. It's hard enough doing it right. You know, heavy mm-hmm. lows like to move in a straight line. If, if it's going in this arc, around your knees on the way up or on the way down, that's, you could have more weight on that bar potentially because, you know, you're just killing some efficiency right there and you're, and you're making it much more challenging yourself than it should. So the deadlift, I would say, is high in my list for something else that 
I think gets coached, but just gets coached on the arch. But the other right. aspects, it always just makes me happy to hear those get dug into. There's just a single focus point that takes a majority of the coaching energy as mm. opposed to the whole thing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll uh, you know, kind of couple that with my next one, which is the row. Oh, I think rowing, yeah. The, you know, hopping on the C2 and, and going for a row is one of my, I mean, it, that's a desert island movement for me. I think that if you did nothing other than just row and got really good at rowing hard and short, long and sustained, I mean, you could be a total bruiser with nothing more than just high level rowing capacity. Mm -hmm. However, other than like a quick day one crash course, most coaches are so lazy when it comes to rowing instruction and rowing consistency that it, it is shocking to me sometimes. I mean, the body positions that I see on that thing are just all over the place. And again, to your point about efficiency, man, rowing is hard enough. Don't put yourself <laughs> right. in a position where you're just you're just giving it away. It's, it's terrible. So yeah, coaches, get on it when it comes to rowing. Understand where the body needs to swing from as you're transitioning from the catch to the full stroke. Understand the timing. Understand where it's going to break down when people start to get fatigued. Understand that it's still your job to get in there and make sure they're doing it right, even when they're tired and even when they don't want to hear from you. You know, rowing is a skill and you got to maintain it. And it's hard to maintain when the going gets tough. So rowing is, yeah, that's right up on the top of the list for me. One of my super talents, as you know, is, is delaying the episodes. So here's, <laughs> here's a, a quick rowing story. This is okay. from this is from back and this is way back. This might be 2006, 2007. I'm trying to remember when I got my first rower. It was somewhere right oh, around yeah. there, probably 06. In my garage, still learning this whole crazy CrossFit world. And you know, uh, I got a, a phone call. I chatted that night with your friend and mine, you know, Mr. Dave Castro. And he, oh, yeah. we get talking about the rower. And I got this rower. It's really good. And he goes, Hey, you know what's like a uh, like a, a test or like a big metric on the row is a 2K row. And I was like, oh, really? Like, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard of that. He goes, yeah, like, and it's really good. I know exactly good. where this goes. It's really good if you can get a seven-minute 2K row. And it's like, and I've been rowing a little bit, like, but usually like 500s yeah. in workouts. So I knew what a 145 felt like. And I was like, I was like, really? So you just got to hold that four times? Like what, what I've been used to holding for a 500? Yeah, what's like, the yeah. big deal? I was so arrogant. <laughs> this is this is what I said to him. I go, I'll call you back in eight minutes. And I hung, <laughs> I hung up the phone. That's amazing. And I walked into the garage and I was like, it can't be that bad. And I said, and I, I flipped some switch, which I was easier to flip oh, back then it. 15 years ago. And I said, I'm going to be yeah. willing to die on this rower tonight. Here I go. Yeah. So I sat I'm calling the rower. Dave in eight minutes, no matter what. I pulled, I pulled like I don't think I've ever pulled again. I got a 7-Eleven. Whew, did not good. did not get it fell off the rower incapacitated like could not and i did not um leave the garage for about 30 minutes i just laid there my legs didn't work oh, i didn't yeah. feel right i didn't even call him that night i was just my whole night was ruined <laughs> and, and i don't think i don't think i rode a 2k uh until it got programmed again like the 2009 mid-atlantic qualifiers by like jeff t or something but that's that's a horror story so anyway that's my rowing story um yeah, no, that's a good one. Hero. Classic, classic. I, I will <laughs> I will say my next movement again is just a simple barbell movement and it's the shoulder press. 
It's so simple. Again, I think mm. the fast lifts, I think the fast lifts can be, since they're sexy, can be easy to get the lion's share of the attention and to think that the slow, slow lifts are easy. And so the push jerk, the split jerk, the clean and jerk, you know, I'm great at coaching those. And you see somebody shoulder press and as long as it goes from the front rack and it ends up locked out or ahead, good shoulder press. Mm -hmm. And but the, the bar position and especially the midline with what's going on and are you overarched there at the top, which the overwhelming majority of people will be and they don't pull down their ribcage and whatnot. And this is another one that I think how nuanced or beautiful or important it is pops up into your face if you have attended the CrossFit Level 2 seminar and you get out into the center and somebody says, okay, shoulder press. And you're like, Oh, thank goodness. I thought I was going to get the push jerk. And then you walk out there and, you know, one of the red shirts just tears you apart about what you're not seeing or doing on what you thought was such a simple movement that it was just, as you said, a layup. And another one that is the building block, much like the deadlift is the building block to pulling off the ground, the air squat mm -hmm. that I mentioned, the building block to all your below parallel. And now if you're going to be overhead with the push press, push jerk, split jerk, you know, whatever it happens to be, you've got to build it from a solid position in both the front rack, the starting and the finish position overhead. And that's your shoulder press. And I think it's another one of those ones where you can really dive into as a coach and, and your clients will benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, <clears throat> I'll uh, continue my theme of kind of piggybacking off of your stellar suggestions. And I'll say that, you know, one that really translates in my mind to the same basic idea that you're talking about here is just the handstand position. Oh, I think a lot of people, they want to kick up against the wall. They want to do a bunch of handstand push-up reps, or they want to, you know, just tear across the floor in a handstand walk or whatever, but they never really actually spend time to develop the position. And then they get really kind of boxed into a limited skill set because they don't actually have the foundation of the skill. They just have these offshoots that develop from it. And we're going to come back to that theme for my last pick coming up here, but but it holds true in this this example. So you know the handstand position. If you get really good at it, no, it's not holding it up against the wall. It's holding it static, mm. freestanding, without having to move around a lot. And so my tell for somebody who has developed a handstand versus not, I don't care how far you can walk on your hands. That's that's fine. Then that's a great skill to have. But can you hold the position static? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, but I can walk a million meters on my hands, well, you don't have a good handstand. You've learned how to not fall. Yeah, yeah. Control <laughs> and there's fall. a big difference. Yeah, exactly. And so I think spending time in that position, getting comfortable with it, allows you to develop it much, much greater. And, and if we go back to kind of the purity of, you know, if, if I can go back a little bit and put my, my high hat on here, get on my high horse about what CrossFit should be, mm. you know, it's, it's, constant development it's not development of one or two things because they show up most often that's a mistake in my opinion you shouldn't you shouldn't have a good handstand push-up and a good handstand walk you should have a good handstand hold you should have a good pirouette you should be practicing pressing the handstand you should be practicing um, shoulder stands on the uh, parallettes you should be practicing shoulder stands on the rings you know on and on and on and on and if the totality of that training is just well i can kick up against the wall and go up and down really fast um, or I can walk across the floor really fast. You're missing the point, in my mm -hmm. opinion. There's always something else to 
challenge yourself with yeah. to work on. That's the beauty of variance, which I could go down yep. the rabbit hole on that. And I will also say that all of these things, you know, and I've harped on a bunch of quote unquote simple movements. I don't want any it is fun to say listeners, isn't it? Like an old time call in radio show. <laughs> a radio show, yeah. And, uh, I don't I want it. any listeners to um, misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not, I didn't just mm. sit and say all that stuff about the air squat. And you shouldn't hear that now, after 16 years of CrossFit, mine's fantastic and I don't have to work it anymore. It's It's been nonstop work for 16 years. And I'm sorry, mine's still not perfect and, and it never will be. But wherever you are with that, your goal is just to be, you know, like they say all the time with coaches, just be relentless. Like, just don't, just mm -hmm. don't give up. Whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, the goal is to walk out of the gym just a little bit better than you walked in. That's it. Don't have to walk out yep. perfect because you probably never will. With that shoulder press, if you're pressing today, walk out with a little bit better of a shoulder press than you walked in, a little bit better of a handstand walk. And if you, and if you do that, then it's not overwhelming. You're not trying mm -hmm. to achieve perfection this month, but that little incremental improvement over the course of weeks and months goes a really, really long way because, you know, one of the points that you harp, harp on all the time, and I'm right there with you, is consistency. Consistency wins, you know, and, and if you're in the gym on a regular basis because you haven't got burnt out, you're going to be on a good path. So yep. the, the last one that I'm going to touch on here, and then I might get on a you got on your high horse for a second. I might take that Ooh. horse for a quick ride. The uh, awesome. I might. I might bring him back again too. So. <laughs> I'm gonna end with the ring dip, and the ring dip oh, is a very yeah. simple gymnastics movement. Which again, coaching, it can be easy sometimes for coaching to be confused with just making sure somebody hits a range of motion, and those two things mm -hmm. are intertwined, but they're not the same thing. And so just making sure that the bottom position is ample and then full lockouts achieved at the top, that would be wonderful. But the internal, external rotation of the arms, does this individual even have the stability in their musculature and midline to keep the rings nice and close and, and tight to the body and, and do this movement in some sort of safe manner? Are they, or they, can they only do it in some sort of crazy kipping <laughs> manner in which mm -hmm. the rings are going to some place and they save it and bring it back in and then save it and bring it back in. I think that's a gamble you only get away with for so long. And, I, and I'd rather see somebody have a slower Elizabeth time for a while and, and don't worry about that. And let's build some good strength and stability on the rings. And then we'll work that back in in one way, shape or form, modify some sort of progression and get really good, beautiful, consistent, strong ring dips so that when you're 55 years old, you're still going to be able to be doing ring dips because this entire time mm -hmm. they have strengthened you instead of potentially hindered you, kind of like what you said with, and just because you've been doing them for a while doesn't mean you've been doing them right. Like you said, every foot strike sure. of that run, well, maybe you've been getting away with it for several years, but it's foot strike number four. 50,008 that's going to be the one that your knee doesn't feel quite right or the hamstring feels mm -hmm. a little weird. Well, maybe you've been kipping in a weird manner with your shoulders in a wonky position for five years of CrossFit and then the next Elizabeth, and my pec feels a little strange. It could, you know, could be related, could be unrelated, but I would like to ideally have my athletes set up with as many, you know, stack the odds in their favor to the best of my ability. Sometimes yep. you do everything right and just something still happens. Like, that's life. But I'm going to try to, to the best of my ability, like I said, 
sway it, sway it to the way of, uh, of doing it right. Yeah, you know, I think that's, uh, that's a great message, um, you know, regardless of what movement we're thinking about. So yeah, I, I dig it. Okay, so last one here for me Can't is wait more to of a, hear the closer. It's more of a category than it is a specific movement. It is the jump rope as a category. I think, especially in the CrossFit gym, it is criminal that so many people have jump ropes in the gym and the only thing they do is practice double-unders. It's, it's what I was talking about with the handstand push position earlier, just taken to another extreme. You have this really cool piece of gear that is solely focused on developing coordination and timing and finesse. I mean, I can't think of a, a single other tool in the gym that is so simple in its ability to develop those qualities so quickly and so well. Mm. And what do you do with it? You reduce it down to a single skill that shows up often in the workout, the double under, and that's it. It's, I just don't get it. There are so many things to do with the jump rope, you know, um, different, different steps, different types of jump, different coordination activities. I mean, you, you, there, the list is endless. There's so much creativity to be had there too. Um, and then the way that you can combine these certain things, even if you only have three or four, you know, five different skills that you've developed, combining them in different ways opens up another avenue of exploration. It's just so good to have something like that solely focused on that kind of finesse and technique. And it just bothers me when people look at the jump rope and they think, oh, I got double unders. That's all I've you know, I, I don't need to work on this anymore. And it's just criminal, in my opinion. So get that jump rope out, do some research online. There's so many cool, you know, Instagram accounts now. And, you know, there's so much visibility on, on people training in, in new and fun ways that with five minutes on the internet, you can find some really cool jump rope stuff to start working on today. And it's going to have huge utility in your training. And that also, getting back to one of my favorite things about CrossFit is, is variance. And I'm guilty of that as well, because there's so much to do that, you know, you grab the jump rope, you do the double unders, and then, you know, you don't practice something else. Life gets busy, you go back in the yeah. house, and, and you just do them the next time they come up. But it's also interesting that you might think if, that if you do double unders, which is arguably the more complicated and technically demanding cousin of the single under, that you'd have those in the bag. And what's funny is when I program mm -hmm. single unders every now and then, for my gym, no pun intended, it's funny how many that just trips people up like left and right. Like I forgot how to do, I forgot how to do single unders, which you would think would be like this great day. So mix it up. And I also, well, I'm, I'm just as guilty of what you just said about just staying in my little world of single under, of double unders. It's also interesting that double unders can become, if you've done them long enough, just a bit of a very highly specialized party trick, meaning Mm -hmm. You might be exceptional yeah. at double unders with this one speed rope that you know exactly the weight and exactly <laughs> where. And then if somebody's like, hey, you know, you're somewhere else and you grab just a different jump rope, you suddenly mm -hmm. can't do double unders. It all just fell apart. Poof, in an instant, they're gone. Yeah. Or, and again, I'm guilty of that, but what I've got that somebody gave me uh, in my garage is like one of those heavy steel cable mm -hmm. weighted ropes which I will admit that I cannot do double unders with, but I'll put them in every now and then to do heavy singles. Same number of, let's say it's 50 double unders, well, I'll do heavy, 50 heavy singles. It's a different cadence, it's a different weight, it's a different everything, and even just that is cool and fun and a nice little bit of variance, even without doing some of the very complicated footwork that you're probably talking about with all these uh, you know, Instagram accounts and whatnot. 
you can you can achieve some fun variants with that. And maybe even just have a few different ropes hanging. That will be probably sure. more challenging than you think. So that, yeah. any more movements from you? Well, I mean, I think you can, the list could go on and on and sure, on, but sure, I think sure. those are the uh, most culprits. egregious offenders. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this, this will be my one time where I just, I, I take the horse from me for a second. I'll do a quick oh, little, a, a quick little gallop yeah. and I'll give it right back. And it's not even a high right, horse thing. It, it's just a, uh, hopefully a message that we say all the time and it's, it's well received, which is, you know, getting back to Damon's original question about movements that are potentially the most undercoached. <sighs> whatever the movement happens to be, whether it's a movement that's popular and gets a lot of attention or a movement that's not popular and should get more attention, your coaches aren't going to have the ability to coach it at all if they don't have time, the most precious, beautiful commodity yeah. to actually do that. And so if you're trying to jam too much into the hour, and your coaches are just herding cattle from the next thing to the next thing. We got to move. We got to move. We got to move because we've got four parts to do before we get out of there. Well, then you've, you've taken from them the most precious commodity time that they actually need, whether it's a double under, a row, a squat snatch, a handstand or whatever. They're not going to have that 10 to 15 minutes of just, hey, you know what, everybody? Break out an empty bar. Come on over here. We're all just going to get better at fill in the blank. Yep. The deadlift. Hey. Come over to a set of rings. We got 10 minutes before Elizabeth. We're all going to work on the ring dip. Without time, you can't do that. So I would just encourage owners, general managers of gyms, please make sure that your coaches and training staff have the time to actually coach your clients. Yeah, absolutely. And in my opinion, that's what warm-ups are there for. It mm. should be enough time to not only you know get you primed for the more intense work that's likely to follow, but to make sure that the skills that are going to re be required of you are settled for the day as much as they can be. So, you know, the part of what was in the original question was how do you make sure that you get coaching or you give coaching to these movements that often don't receive it? It's like, well, that's all part of the recipe. Okay, we have a running workout that's coming up. Before we go out there and just hit a 400 meter as a warm up, maybe we do some running drills along the length of the gym or mm -hmm. the width of the gym. You know, short distances, work on the mechanics a little bit, do that for five minutes, get people dialed in a little bit, and then turn them loose to go do their 400-meter warm-up. Something as simple as that can have profound effect, uh, not only for the workout that they're about to do, but just to kind of get the wheels turning for the long term about, oh, I really have to think about this, even though it seems simple at the outset. Yeah, for sure. And, and simple's good. Embrace the basics. Those, Absolutely. those basics and fundamentals yep. will serve you well for the rest of your life. So that's it. I'm good. Anything else on your side? No, I think that's, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. Okay. Well, Damon, thank you for the question. And now you know, you know what Adrian and I think about this. But of course, we're more interested to know what do you think? What are some undercoach movements? What are your tips, tricks? We want to hear it. Let's share some knowledge in the comments. So if you're listening in audio format, certainly appreciate that. But of course, hop on over to the BTWB YouTube channel, find this episode and, you know, just whatever you want. Free speech there in the comments. Enjoy. So, <laughs> so I should be careful when I say that. So uh, once again, no way, man, let it, let it, let happen. it rip. For Adrian yeah. Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you next time.